Let me tell you, next to your salvation, what the most important thing is in your life, it is your foundation. It is your foundation. Jesus had a lot to say about foundations because a foundation is that upon which you build the rest of the house of your life. Your foundation is comprised of what you believe, what you have accepted as being true, and what you accept as being true is what directs your steps, your lifestyle, how you live, where you go, who you hang with, how much time you spend with God or not. Um, Your foundation is comprised of that, what I believe to be true. Now, Jesus talked directly about foundations in the tail end of his great Sermon on the Mount. And so I just want to read to you what he said, because he's going to tell us a little story about two men who decide to build a house. And then I want to talk to you about foundations today. He says in Matthew 7, 24, all who listen to my instructions and follow them are wise. Notice, they who listen and do them. Listen and assimilate them into their life. Make them a part of their lifestyle. So he says it's like a man who builds his house on a rock. If you hear it and then do it. Verse 25, though the rain comes in torrents and it will. Come on. Anybody in here believe that God's going to keep you in a bubble? No. He lets storms come. Everybody say storms happen. So though the rain comes in torrents, it will. Floods rise and they will. And storm winds beat against your house, and they will. Now, here comes a promise. It won't collapse. Now, that's a guaranteed, foolproof, airtight promise from God. If we build our lives on the rock of his teaching and do it, our house won't collapse in a storm. We will survive storms. We will be storm survivors. And we'll come out on the other side and move on down the road. But look at another, the, the next person. Those who hear my instructions, but then they don't do them. They ignore them. Jesus said, you're foolish. Like a man who builds his house on sand. Because the same winds come, same rains fall, same storm comes against that house. But look at the difference. It falls with a mighty crash. Anytime somebody's spiritual house falls, and collapses, it's a crash. It's a big crash. It reaches out. The repercussions reach out and touch many more people than just the one that crashed. So we don't want to crash and burn. Amen? We don't want to burn out. We want to burn on. Right? So today I want to talk to you about foundations. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for these precious people that I prayed for this week. Lord, I brought all of them before you. And I pray that, Lord, myself included, that you would make us stronger than we've ever been. And, Lord, help our foundation to be airtight, like steel, like rock. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, will you just pray with me, church, and say, Lord, today, if there is a fault in my foundation, heal it, fix it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, firm foundation, firm foundation. 
Okay, a little bit of bad news, and then, I'll, then I'm going to go into why I think we have the bad news. Uh, but in the last couple of weeks, if you keep up with the news, then you know that two very, very prominent Christian leaders came out and denied the faith, walked away from the faith. One of them was a well-known pastor author. Now, I know you're saying, well, tell us who. I'm not going to say who. doesn't matter who. It just matters that it happened. And um, it was a well-known pastor author who came out and said he was no longer a Christian. He had been a pastor and a Christian author, read by a lot of younger people. Then another Christian songwriter who had written some hits came out and said, my faith is hanging by a thread. All right, that shook a lot of younger Christians up, and it became a a big news flash. A a lot of different places were reporting it, both secular and religious. So I thought, I'm going to speak on this, because this is is a great uh, learning opportunity to minister the Word of God and explain how somebody who stood in a pulpit and preached and taught the Word of God very successfully, very eloquently, um, how that person or a songwriter who could sit down and pen songs that reach millions of people and bless them, how these two people could wake up one day and say, I don't believe anymore. How can, how can that happen? All right, unfortunately, the thing that got me about it was how many young Christians are watching them. And see, that kind of thing shakes young Christians. It shakes their faith. It shakes the foundations. It, it rattles their cage because they go, well, you know, I don't feel I'm doing that great. And here's these people I thought were leaders, and they're renouncing the faith. I mean, they, they walked away. One of them totally walked away. One of them says, I'm hanging on by a thread. Okay, let's remember one thing important, that Paul the Apostle saw this coming. The Holy Spirit spoke through him, and Paul the Apostle said in the last days... There is going to be a defection. Uh, There is going to be a walking away from the faith that is in Jesus Christ. He said, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow. Look what happened. They, They quit listening to the voice of Jesus, and they started listening to another voice. It says they will follow deceiving spirits and things that are literally taught by demons. Taught by demons. So, so they start giving their ear to something else. Something else grabs their attention, gets their, gets their ear, and they begin to listen to a message contrary to the message of God, contrary to Christ, contrary to the Bible, and eventually they just say, I'm going with that voice. And they defect. Now, I want to tell you how I believe that happens. I'm going to give you one reason. I know it happens, and it has to do with what we just read. It's all about foundations. I want everybody to say foundations. It's all about foundations. Everybody in here has one. See, when you got saved, a foundation was laid in your soul. Now, the foundation is built upon as you go through time, and it matters greatly what you build that foundation out of. Now, Jesus told us the story of two men both building a house. And he said, one of them built on rock, and the other one built on sand. And when the rains fell, winds blew, floods began to beat, and that literally means to pummel, like a boxer, pummel that house. One of them withstood the storm and came out on the other side, unscathed and fine. The other one crashed, 
And Jesus said the difference was in the foundation. The difference was is, is what was the foundation in them. Now, the foundation, that's a physical picture of a spiritual truth. He's talking about the spiritual foundation in our hearts, in our souls. And he's saying one foundation was rock hard. The other one was made of sand. And it's not, it's not what you look like on the outside. It's what's built on the inside that matters most. There's a lot of people come walking into church, bouncing into church. They look great. But when they go through a storm, all of a sudden you hear that their faith is shaken and they don't know about God and they're not in church much anymore because they don't know what to do with this storm. And you see that the storm rattled them and bothered them and, and affected them. But you'll see another person go through a storm and come out on the other side. They never quit praying, never quit going to church, never quit reading their Bible. Their foundation stands. See, Jesus is letting us know it's not the roof of the house, how it looks. It's not the walls, how it appears. It's not the landscaping, how beautiful it is. It's the foundation. It's the unseen thing on the inside of all of us. It's our beliefs. It's what we have accepted as true. What is true? What's true about God? What's true about the Word? What's true about heaven and hell? What's true about eternity? What's true about how man is made up? Is, is he really body, soul, and spirit? Are we really eternal or not? Is, is there really a devil? Is there really an unseen world? It's what you believe and accept as true, which decides how you live. That's your foundation. Now, Jesus is letting us know something in this parable. He's telling us this. Faith that fizzles at the finish had faulty foundations at the first. Come on, follow with me now. Faith, if it fizzles at the finish, it had faulty foundations at the first. Because if you have a solid foundation, it's not going to cave in a storm. He is telling us how to storm-proof our house. He's telling us what it takes to storm-proof our house. And he said, the foundation was all about hearing the Word of God and doing it. Hearing the Word of God and doing it. Hearing the Word of God, accepting it as the Word of God, and acting on it as the Word of God, and building my house on the Word of God as it is taught. If the Word of God says it, that's the way I believe, and that is the way I'm going to walk. I'm going to obey it, and as I hear it and accept it as true and walk it out, it begins to add bricks to my foundation, and my foundation becomes solid like a rock, and it does not crash in a storm. So everybody say, hear it, accept it as true, and then walk it out. Walk it out. He said the, the, the foolish man heard it, but he didn't walk it out. He said, good message, Pastor Jeff, and he walked out, and he didn't live it. But see, the wise person, James said, the wise person hears and does, hears and does. You hear it and you do it. The Word of God is true, and I can build my life on it. I can walk on it. I can live by it. I can die by it, and I am to order my steps according to the Word of God. The Bible says, order my steps according to your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. The idea being that if I order my steps according to his word, no iniquity will have dominion over me. There is power in hearing and doing. So when I hear that faith that fizzles at the finish had a faulty foundation at the first, then I want to be sure that I have a solid foundation. How about you? I want to be sure. 
Because the, these two people that ended up in leadership, they weren't ready for leadership because their, fi- their foundation was faulty. All right? So the first things first, most important thing is we need to strengthen the foundation. Now, let me give you three bricks to add to the foundation of your life. All right? The foundation that is inside of you. Listen to Paul on this. He says, God in his kindness has taught me how to be an expert builder. Now, in another translation, it says, wise master builder. Now, church, follow me. This is really important. God in his kindness has taught me, Paul, how to be a wise expert master builder. I have laid the foundation and Apollos has built on it. Now, Paul is saying, you know, I led you to Christ. Here you are. You're saved now. But I'm a wise master builder. So I'm going to build the foundation in your soul that is going to carry you for the rest of your life. I'm going to build the foundation in your soul upon which you are going to build the rest of the house of your life. So he said, I'm not a dumb builder. I'm a smart builder. I'm a wise builder. Now follow this. So he began to teach them. He took these Corinthians, these newborn believers, and he began to teach them wisely. What did he teach them? He said, I've laid a foundation. Apollos has built on it. He who builds on the foundation must be very careful. And no one, watch verse 11, no one can ever lay any other real foundation than the one that is already laid, Jesus Christ. So the first brick in a firm foundation is Jesus Christ must be built into the fabric of our soul. I mean, he needs to be planted there. We need to understand who he is, who he was, what he did, what he was about, who he was, who he wasn't. He was not just any normal man. He was not a first century tiny Tim tiptoeing through the religious tulips, saying nice things to people, just kind of giving everybody a nice buzz. But no, the Bible says he was God wrapped in flesh. He was God incarnate. He was God visiting us. He was God entering the human race to feel our pain, to walk with us, to minister to us, to teach us, and to die for us, and to rise from the dead so that he can one day take us where he is. He was not just any man. He was uniquely and exclusively the only begotten Son of God. And that's got to get deep inside of us. Paul says, I laid a foundation, and it was Jesus Christ. He said, when I came to be among you, He said, I I decided that I would know nothing, nothing, nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul had one song to sing. It was Jesus Christ. He had one message, Jesus Christ. He had one teaching, many, many teachings, but they all revolved around one thing, Jesus Christ. Christ. If you talk to Paul, you were going to hear about Jesus. He was all about Jesus. He was slap happy in love with Jesus. He was committed to Jesus. He was ready to die for Jesus. Jesus was everything. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everything in my life, it's about Jesus Christ. He is my reason for living. He is my reason for dying. He is my reason for breathing. He is why I get up in the morning and he's why I go to bed at night. I'm all about Jesus. Jesus Christ. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus is the firm foundation that will never collapse. 
That kind of foundation begins with an understanding of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. I've been pastoring a long time. Let me throw some truth your way, some hard truth. Are you ready? You can be in church for years and never have the proper foundation laid in your soul. You know why? Because it all depends on who teaches you and what they teach. It depends on what you are taught or not. See, you, you can be in a church where everybody's excited all the time, banging tambourines, jumping up and down, jumping high as they can for Jesus. Listen, my burden is, is, is to teach you how to walk once you land. I'm all for jumping high. I'm all for emotional experiences. That's great. But the bottom line is, how do you walk when you land? You're, you're going to walk according to your foundation. And I've noticed that there are people that have been in church for years, and one day you hear they're out there, and they've walked away, and they're in the world, and they're not living for God. And you go, what in the world happened there? They didn't have a firm foundation. They had a faulty foundation. You can sing in the choir. You can witness in the streets. Well, clearly, we can see you can teach from the Bible like this one man who has now renounced the faith. You can pastor. You can lead youth. You can sing like a canary for Jesus and still not have a good foundation built into your soul. It all depends on what you read, what you're taught, what you accept as truth, and what you assimilate into the fabric of your soul about Jesus. Paul laid the foundation of solid teaching on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He told them in the book of Acts when he was leaving the Ephesian elders and he, was, he said, I'll probably never see you again. But then he said, let me tell you what I did for you while I was with you. I did not fail to teach you the entire counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. I shared with you the whole counsel of God. I didn't hold anything back. Everything regarding Jesus Christ, I shared it with you. The whole counsel of God. I didn't have a few pet verses that I harped on over and over to the exclusion of the rest of the Bible. But I taught you the whole counsel of God. I explained to you the plan of salvation. I explained to you man's sin and the need to repent. I explained to you the certainty of coming judgment. I told you all about the reality of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6. I explained the sovereignty of God, that he rules over everything. I told you the purpose of God's word and where it came from. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. I told you that. I told you the purpose of the church to grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ and to shine like a light into this dark world. I told you the reason God gave the church some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that all came from the pen of Paul, moved by the Holy Ghost. I taught you that you were crucified with Christ, that sin doesn't have to rule over you any longer, that Jesus has set you free indeed. I taught you all these things. I laid out the whole truth without apology. I didn't care if it offended you or not because I wanted to build in you a solid foundation of who Jesus is and was and always will be. I wanted Jesus to be, I wanted, if you got stuck with a needle, Jesus to come out. I laid a Jesus foundation in you 
so that let the winds blow, let the rain fall, let the floods of doubt and unbelief and attack against your faith beat on your house. It will not collapse if you've got a Jesus foundation, a Jesus foundation. Everybody say a Jesus foundation. So let me, let, me, let me give you a little bit of truth about Jesus. Can you handle a little bit of Christology right now? Christology means what you believe about Jesus. Let me, let me just do a little bit of it. I'm going to lay some foundation in you. The Bible contends, the Bible says, that no one like Jesus has ever stepped onto the stage of history and never will again. The Bible fully explains how Jesus, though born as a man, was fully God. He was God visiting man with skin on him. Paul writes, Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. You want to know who Jesus is? He, Jesus told Philip, Philip said, Father, or Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said to Philip, Philip, have I been with you so long? And you don't understand that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Watch the way I love people. Watch the way I'm patient. Watch the way I'm kind. Watch the way I walk. Watch the way I talk. Watch the way I live. If you want to know what God is like, Philip, study me, because I am an exact replica, a reflection of the Father in heaven. I'm a mirror reflection of him. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. Listen to this. He existed before God made anything at all. He existed before God made anything at all. That's telling us he was not created. He was never, when Jesus was born in a manger, that was not Jesus appearing for the first time. He always has been. He always will be. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He, He is God in flesh. He always has been. So he's telling us here, he existed before God made anything. And in fact, watch this, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and earth. Did you catch that? Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and in earth. Jesus was the creator of it. God spoke it, the Son amended it, and the Holy Spirit executed it. God said, let there be light. And the Son said, amen. And the Holy Spirit executed it. God said, let there be the birds in the sky. The Son said, amen. And the Holy Spirit executed it. Everything we taste, touch, hear, smell, see, move through the fingertips of Jesus Christ in creation. Everybody say a mighty Savior. That was kind of half-hearted. Let's try that again. A mighty Savior. Come on, we came in here and we worshiped the one who said, let there be an elephant. And the elephant came into being. It moved through his fingertips. He created it. He made the beautiful flowers. He made the vast universe with galaxy after galaxy after galaxy. We've never even gotten to the end of it. It's spreading out all the time. He made that. He said, Jeff, I just believe in evolution. Well, that's okay. You can believe in that. But listen, I'll go with Genesis 1.1. God, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. See, you're not beautifully and wonderfully evolved. You're beautifully and wonderfully made. God made you. He made the universe. He created all things. Genesis 1-1 is where I'm going to go. I believe the word of God. And Jesus, it says, 
was the creator who made it all. The things we can see and the things we can't see. The spirit world with its kings and kingdoms, its rulers and authorities, all were made by Christ for his own use and glory. Now listen to verse 17. Here's a mind blower. He was before all else began, and it is his power that holds everything together. You know what that means? The atomic structure of everything, the stage I'm standing in, the chairs you're sitting in, they are held together by an atomic structure. And the Bible says it is the word of Jesus Christ that keeps them from flying apart. The entire universe is being held together by the one who walked the shores of Galilee, the the man from Nazareth the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All of the universe, all of the world, and you and me are being held together by his word. He could speak one word and everything would fly apart into oblivion, never to return. It's held together, not by scientific law, but by the word of Jesus Christ. Held together. Amen. So he was God in flesh, creator of all things. And as I speak right now, everything is being held together by his word. And one day, and I believe it's very soon, the father is going to turn to the son and he's going to say, son, go get your bride. And the trumpet is going to blow. And those who have died in Christ are coming out of the grave first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You say, Jeff, do you really believe that? Listen, if everything is being held together by his power, it's no big deal for him to call us up. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing. God's son shines out with God's glory and all that God's son is and does marks him as God. He regulates the universe by the mighty power of his command. There it is again. He regulates the universe by the mighty power of his command. He is the one who died to cleanse us and thank God clear our record of all sin. And then sat down in highest honor beside the great God of heaven And that's where he is right now. And he's making intercession for the saints according to the will of God until he comes and takes us home. Amen. Can we give him praise today? Thank you, Jesus. Now, see, this is the kind of thing we need deep within us because when I know who he is, what he did, and who he always will be, man, you can't, how can you move me away from a Savior like that? I will never renounce a Savior like that. No, I will serve a Savior like that. I will bow to a Savior like that. I will, I will obey a Savior like that. But I will never deny a Savior like that. How can we deny one who died for us that way and rose from the dead and is so mighty and powerful? Come on. Jesus' birth made the angels sing and the devils tremble. His personality was grace-filled, love-driven. It was irresistible and without fault. His ministry lifted the discouraged, delivered the oppressed, healed the suffering, and brought heaven's light into this world's darkness. His death and his resurrection are the twin hinges upon which all hope swings. I have hope today. Because I know that he died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. And because he's risen, I will rise as well. And that gives me hope squared to the 10th power. 
And the Bible declares there is salvation in no one else. Under all heaven, there is no other name for men to call upon to save them. There isn't another name that will get you through the gates of heaven, not one. There is no other name, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not Buddha, no world religious leader, not yourself, not hugging a tree, not being a good person. Nothing will get you through the gates of glory but that name, the name of Jesus, salvation in that name. You must call upon that name. You've got to call on that name. And when you do, the gates swing open. No one, and I mean no one, is like Jesus nor ever will be. That's the first brick in the foundation. Can we thank God for that? Yeah. Now, let me hit a second one. This is a big one. The the second brick is a trustworthy Bible. That's got to be part of your foundation. And see, that's part of my foundation. Years and years ago, I came to the conclusion that the Bible was the Word of God. God showed me just irrefutably that the Bible was the Word of God. It speaks for itself. We, 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 we hold in our hands a trustworthy Bible. Now, remember with me that Satan's first attack on a human being was Eve. And his first line of attack was to cause doubt in the Word of God. He wanted to sow doubt in her mind about what God had truly said. The first lie out of his mouth, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, hath God said regarding the Word of God? He attacked the Word of God. He knew he could not get her to sin unless he could cause her to doubt the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of the Word of God. So he had to knock her off the confidence that she had the Word of God. And when he knocked her off the confidence of that, then she was was ripe for the picking. She She was ready for the kill because now she's swimming in the waters of doubt, not certainty. Now, I want to tell you that the firm foundation, part of it is knowing that you know that you know that the Bible you hold in your hand is without error in all that it claims. That means that I believe Genesis 1-1, not evolution. That means that it's right about its account of creation, how man fell into sin and needs a Savior. The virgin birth of Christ is a true account. The resurrection from the dead is a true account. Jesus getting up again after being dead three days and nights is a true account. Jonah being three days and nights in the belly of a whale is not a metaphor. It's a true account. Sodom and Gomorrah being consumed with flames from heaven is not a story. It's a true account. The history of the Bible is a true, trustworthy history. We are to believe, and I do accept, all that it says. Because when I accept it as true, it becomes a part of my foundation, and it decides how I'm going to walk and live my lifestyle, all those things. Now, it might help you to know Jesus believed in a Bible without error. He said, as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and nights in the belly of the earth. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, that means Sodom and Gomorrah, as it was in the days of Noah. So he verified and affirmed the story of the ark right there. Jesus was what we call an inerrantist. 
An inerrantist is a person who believes there's no error in the Bible's claims. Jesus was one. In Luke 4, the Lord Jesus read from the book of Isaiah. He walked into the synagogue. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He walked into the synagogue. And he stood behind whatever it was, a lectern. And he opened up Isaiah and he read a prophecy about himself. And he said, this day, this is fulfilled in the hearing of your ears. Now, let me ask you a question. Would Jesus have read from a book riddled with mistakes? No. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law that is the word of God until everything in it is fulfilled. Would Jesus have said that about an error-filled book? No. He said everything in it is going to be fulfilled. That's an inerrantist talking. He prayed to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If the Bible is filled with errors, that statement would have made Jesus a liar. Because he said, your word is truth, but it's full of errors. Then he was in error, and he was not telling the truth, and that makes him not truthful, and that can't be. So we have a trustworthy Bible. We have a trustworthy Savior. And I want to end with one more brick. Are you ready for one more brick? And then I'm going to close. All right. It is a conviction that truth trumps everything. Truth trumps everything. What do you mean, Jeff? Here's what I mean. We live in a church culture that increasingly places greater value on emotion and experience over what the Bible says. Okay? If I feel it, it must be true. If my emotions have been excited and stirred, it must be of God. If the, the experience was a genuinely felt experience, then it must be true and it must have come from God. In other words, my feelings and my emotions are now my guides, not the word of God. But we've got to get, if you want a firm foundation, you've got to get where truth trumps everything. No matter what you feel, no matter what the experience is, if it can't be run through the sifter of God's word and pass the test of God's word, then it was not truth. Right? See, God designed our emotions to be gauges, not guides. Informers, but not bosses. My emotion, I am not emotion-driven, I'm word-driven. I'm not emotion-driven. I'm not going to go do something, a, a major decision, whatever, moved by emotions until I run it through the sifter of God's Word. It's got to pass the Word test. Even my dog will give something a smell test before he eats it. I mean, it, it can be lunch meat, but that, that guy will smell it before he eats it. Uh, if it's a doggy bone, it looks like a doggy bone, it looks right, it's got to be right, but he'll sniff it, he'll give it the, the smell test before he eats it. He's wiser than some Christians because some things come our way and we don't give them the word test. We just say, well, it looks good to me, and we eat it, and oh my, our emotions get us in trouble. See, the devil is real good saying this to you. How can it be wrong if it feels so right? How can it be wrong? If it feels so right. In other words, if you feel that it's right, it's got to be right. But listen, it can, it can 
feel so right and still be oh so wrong. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I think today I'm going to go become a heroin addict. No, somebody talks to him and says, you ought to just try it one time. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to go all the way. Just try it once. You just need to experience it one time. And so you do it. And you know what? It feels good. Say, man, I had such such a feeling of well-being. It just made me feel like I could conquer the world. I love that feeling. So how could this be wrong? Surely that's not what the Bible meant. But it can be oh so wrong, even though it feels oh so right. Same thing with all kinds of things. Our culture gives us to appeal to our senses, to our flesh. Uh, The devil, he's not going to come to you with something that is revolting, that is repulsive, that doesn't feel good, that hurts. He's not going to come with you. Listen, it says he puts on a costume like an angel of light. And he comes to you with things that feel good. And says, since it feels so good, then it's got to be of God. But it's not of God. The Bible says... He who trusts in his own heart, that is his feelings, his emotions, his affections, is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom, running all experiences and all stimuli through the sifter of the word of God, will be kept safe. Amen? Part of the reason some of these people are defecting from the faith, I believe, is they were raised on emotions. They were in in emotional, highly emotional Christian experiences, always chasing the next experience, the next spiritual high. But they didn't get grounded in the Word. See, give me the Word any day. I'd rather spend an afternoon studying one Bible verse than going and doing a lot of the things our culture rejoices in because I want to put more bricks on my foundation and on my spiritual house. See, I think these people are so used to emotional experiences when the storm hit, whatever that storm was for them, and the thrill was gone and they weren't feeling any major, big, warm, fuzzy, but life happened, reality happened, their foundation couldn't handle it because they need the feeling. I'm going to tell you, there's days I wake up and I say, why did I wake up? This morning was one of them. My dog had us up at 3 o'clock in the morning. My dog needs to thank God today that I'm saved. Because she has us up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I, I was so tired when I first woke up. But the bottom line is, there's days I don't feel tons and tons of the Holy Spirit all over me, but I know I'm saved, not based on emotion, based on fact. Based on fact. Amen? So let's stand together, can we? Now, I want you to just repeat this after me. Just say, a firm foundation is built on Jesus Christ, a trustworthy Bible, and truth trumping everything. Amen? Amen. Let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus. I prayed for you this week. I came in here on Thursday, and I... I walked all around this sanctuary with the lights off, alone in here. And I I prayed up and down the aisles for people to be sitting in these chairs. I prayed. Um, 
that God would visit us. I pray for fresh wind from the Holy Spirit, fresh fire, a fresh touch. And then I read about these two people who defected from the faith, and I said, you know, I'm going to speak on it because I want a church who can say with David, none of these things move me. Can we just say that together? None of these things move me. In another place, he said, I will not be moved. Can we say that? I will not be moved. When you've got a firm foundation, that's your testimony. I will not be moved. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, I pray over this people. Lord, give us a firm foundation with your hands raised. Say, Lord, today, if my foundation is faulty, heal it, fix it restore it, fill in the gaps so that I am solid and my house is built on that rock foundation. In Jesus' name.